Well, it's now 2024, and we are excited that you are here with us at Portrait Church, listening to our podcast. My name is Jay. I get the privilege of being the pastor here at Portrait Church. And here's what we think. The best thing we can do as we start 2024 is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are in a brand new series called Seek First, where we are exploring what is the kingdom of God? Why should we seek it first? How should we respond to it? And what is the type of people God wants us to become in his kingdom? So we pray that as you start your 2024 year, that you would find value in seeking first God's kingdom and everything else will be added to you. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit us online at portrait.church or you can find us on social media. We'll be meeting at the Mitten Building here in Redlands on Sundays. And we hope you enjoy this message. And we honestly hope one day we'll see you in person as well. Take care. So if you have been with us, you know that we are in a series in the beginning of this year called Seek First. We're about halfway through this series where we are talking about what Matthew 6 says, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. We've answered the question, what is God's kingdom? And what we've said is God's kingdom is essentially whenever and wherever God gets what he wants. His kingdom is not mainly about a particular place or realm, but it's about how God rules, about how God exercises authority and how he leads. The kingdom is not just a kingdom of of talk, but it's a kingdom of power. It's a kingdom where lives are being transformed. There's joy and peace. People are being rescued from sin. People are being healed but this kingdom has a tension that you live in because it's here, but it's not fully, not fully realized. And so when it's fully realized, we trust and hope that in this kingdom, there's going to be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more depression, no more war, no more racism. There will be no more darkness because we can trust that the king is going to make all things right. We talked about these several agricultural metaphors like soil representing the heart posture of those who are going to receive God's word. Our prayer today is even as we sing that song, make room, that God would break up the ground inside of your heart that's keeping you from fully hearing what he wants for your life. We talked about how the kingdom doesn't come like this massive lightning strike of an army and this powerful conquering uh, king, but it comes in the form of a mustard seed of good news. It comes in the form of a king leaving his throne to humble himself and be a suffering servant. And last week we sat in the tension of why God allows bad things, bad seeds to still exist in the kingdom if he's good. And what we came to conclusion from God's word is that God knows only good. He is perfect. He is just. He is right. But that God allows all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to sit in this tension because he knows that as you sit in the tension, just like when you lift weights and you put tension on your body, he knows that strength is going to be produced. And so there's a godly character, what scripture calls this fruit that there is, there is character inside of you that God is trying to grow that only can come from pain, tension, and even suffering. But the beauty of this king and his kingdom is he, he entered suffering himself. 
He entered pain himself. He, he was betrayed by his very best friends. He lived throughout all of this to example and model what it looks like to live in this kingdom. We were reminded about the wheat and the weeds that as Christians and followers of Jesus, we are called to make judgments, not be judgmental. We are called to discern. We are called to sit in this tension so that we can show that we believe in this king and how he rules. And so in our text this morning, we take this backdrop and I think Matthew was very intentional in the way that he ordered these like little parables, these stories. And in this scene, he opens up in Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding the one pearl of great value went and sold everything he had and bought it. You see, the kingdom of heaven is just synonymous with the kingdom of God. In that time, the Jewish people, out of their reverence for the divine name of God, they would often not even want to use the name God, so they would substitute it and use things like the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the blessed instead of God. That's how much reverence they had for the name of God. So there's no significant difference between these two. And it says that this kingdom of heaven... It's like a treasure hidden in a field. And the reason he says it's hidden in a field, because during that time, they didn't have like, like banks like we have. They didn't have like things that they can go and deposit their money in and that you would just be able to pull it out one day. Um, like growing up when I was a kid, if my dad were to give me money and I would go out to play basketball or something, um, my bank was my sock. Anybody else can testify to, to putting your money in a sock? All the black people, okay, great. <laughs> Great. I, I, I'm glad. Yes. Thank you. I'm glad that y'all can identify. Y'all like, why would you put it in your sock, not your pocket? Because if you get jumped, sorry, jump means if you get beat up and they look in your pocket, they like, I guess you ain't got nothing. Then you pull out that 20 on your sock when you walk back home and see they didn't get me. They didn't get me. So I'm just, that, that was for somebody in the room. That was for somebody. No more Bitcoin. Put it in your sock. Okay. Put it in your sock. But they didn't have a way to do that. So often many people would dig and they would store their treasure in the ground. So Jesus is speaking to an audience who knows this. And what he's saying is Jesus, Jesus often does this. He uses ordinary imagery and things to describe this, the, the secrets of the kingdom. He would use like these hidden stories and like these almost like hidden, these things that you would think were in plain sight, but they're hidden because like, think about this. How many people walked over this land? How many people probably walked over this normal looking land? And then all of a sudden this one man, he finds what's hidden. Paul, when he's speaking to the church of Colossae, he says in, in chapter two, verse two, he says, my goal for you, church, is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So many things that Jesus spoke about we're often hidden in these ordinary moments, these ordinary settings, and with ordinary people. 
I mean, the disciples themselves, the people that he used to bring about his kingdom were some of the most ordinary rejects of society. Yet he still decided to use them. He came down off his throne into the ordinary human body so that he can live this perfect life for us. Ordinary hidden things and moments. So think of this field, ordinary field. Again, it makes you wonder how many people walked over it. And contextually for today, if we were to kind of take some of the the thoughts of this and place it into our time today, it's a reminder how our society loves to live on the surface. We're obsessed with living on the surface, just like probably many of these people. They probably looked at that field and was like, yo, ain't, ain't nothing good there. They just probably walked past it. And that's often society in our day and time. We tend, to, we tend to judge the value of something or someone on very surface level things. We tend to judge how good someone may be or how uh, much you want to interact with them about how, based on how they look, a surface level thing. We tend to uh, judge people or find value by how many followers people have on Instagram, not knowing that they paid for majority of them. We tend to place value on surface level level things and like, oh, what kind of job that person has or what kind of car are they driving? We place these like very superficial values on things of the surface. In his screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, he talks about screw tape, who is this senior demon. And he's writing to his nephew, the senior demon is writing to his nephew, Wormwood. And he's offering advice to Wormwood on how to tempt and corrupt the human soul. Listen to what he says. Screwtape acknowledges that Wormwood's patient has recently become a, a follower of Jesus and started attending church. Instead of trying to prevent the patient from going to church altogether, Screwtape suggests a more subtle approach. He advises Wormwood to focus on the patient's attitude and thoughts during the service. He's telling him to be discouraged during genuine worship, and he's encouraging Wormwood to make the patient, the the follower of Jesus, focus on petty distractions, such as the appearance of the other people, the quality of how people are harmonizing, right? You've been around people, you sing in church, you're like, oh, you could probably stop singing, and I would encounter God a lot better right now, right? But but that's what he's getting them to, to consider. He's saying, like, I want you to focus on the people singing out of tune. He even writes on here, focus on those with double chins. That's what he said. And everyone's like trying to shrink up. Hey, we just got to own it. Some of y'all, we all getting old. (laughs) Focus on the minor discomforts. Focus on the surface. And the idea is to divert the followers' attention from the spiritual aspects of the church service and to make the experience as mundane, as unfulfilling as possible. By doing so, Screwtape hopes to hinder the patient's spiritual growth and prevent him from truly connecting with God beneath the surface in worship because he's focusing on surface-level things. All surface-level things. Even Jesus, even Jesus in Isaiah 53 too, he was described as not beautiful, There was nothing majestic about his appearance that would attract us to even want to desire him. On the surface level, Jesus did not not look like a king worthy to be followed. So in the goodness of the gospel, 
This good news that followers of Jesus talk about, it's very simple in nature. But many people struggle with the simplicity. You're pursuing your own way. You're pursuing your own kingdom. You are just bent to sin. And this sin is keeping you separated from from a relationship with a holy and just God. But God loves you so much that he would send his son Jesus to die on yours and I's behalf, taking all of God's wrath, taking all of our sin collectively and placing it on the cross. He would die a death that he did not deserve. He would be buried. He would raise conquering sin and death so that if we place our faith in what he's done, we would have a relationship with him. Very simple. But the problem is it's so simple. How many people that we know are walking over the field of the gospel? They're not capturing that very power in the simplicity of what this sounds like. Hey, stop choosing your own way to live and choose God's way because his way is full of life. It's full of joy. It sounds simple, but the reality is we are bypassing it all throughout life. I've done this for most of my life. I heard about this good news, yet my life lived as if I was wandering and not believing in the power of the simplicity of the message. And listen to the transition this man who stumbles across this treasure does. He goes beyond the surface, he finds it, he digs it out, and then he covers it back, and it says when he found the treasure, he went and sold everything. Everything. Can you imagine what this guy's friends like or people who knew him? Like, hey, yo, Joe, man, what you doing? Why you, why you selling all your stuff? You taking that old property over there? Ain't no value there. Like people just walk by that all the time. You going to sell everything? Joe, you know how many limited edition Pokemon cards you got or basketball? You going to sell all that? You going to sell all your belongings? Didn't you just get that Tesla, Joe? You going to sell that too? It says he went back and he sold everything. Because he saw... In this treasure of the kingdom, this is what Jesus is getting at. The treasure of the kingdom is to be valued above everything else. And here's, a, here's what treasure is. Treasure is anything we value above all else, that which motivate us to action. What this man did is he, and the, he did the same thing that the merchant did with the pearls, is they assessed the value of what they found in their mind. That's the first thing they did. Then they let the value of that touch their heart. And the third thing, they were moved to action and everything changed because of that value. And the reality is every single one of us in here has a value system. Every single one of us. There are certain things that you value more than others. There are certain things that you treasure more than others. This man assessed what he found. It touched him so much as he gazed upon this treasure that he was motivated to go and sell everything. He wasn't swayed by anyone. People could have been like, hey, Joe, are you sure you want to do that? He's like, look, look, I know what I saw. I know what I experienced. It didn't just stay in my mind. See, the problem with many followers of Jesus is the goodness of God just stays in our mind. It doesn't transfer to anything else. 
And so we compartmentalize our faith, and people are looking at us like, oh, but I thought you loved Jesus, but you really haven't sold any of these other things. This man, he's not swayed by anyone. He goes and he sells everything. The merchant, this man, no, the, the merchants in this day were probably very wealthy because they were trading these pearls. They were gathering pearls. It says that he knew the value in pearls. He was searching for them. But all of a sudden he comes across this one pearl. He assesses it in his mind. He lets the value touch his heart. And then it spurs him to action and it changes everything. This guy was probably one of a wealth, like one of the most wealthy people in that society. Yet even one of the wealthiest decides, just like probably the poor man who's walking and, and tending the field, decides that this kingdom, this king worth following is worth selling everything for. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, but it's been hidden. And many of us, when we talked about the soil, we talk about the mustard seed. We've talked about the wheat and the tares. And, 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 and many of us are looking at the way that we live and operate. And I think we're asking the question, do I actually seek the kingdom? And as a text, really, um, I think, it's trying to capture our motivations in life, to capture our motivations in following Jesus. The question for us here is do we believe that the way God's kingdom operates, the way God rules, the way God leads, the way God cares and seeks uh, justice for the oppressed, the way God cares for the orphans, the widows, and the poor, the way that God exercises righteousness and judgment, the way God has a vision for human flourishing, the way God cares for the dignity of people, is that way treasure to you? Is it treasure? That's a lot of stuff we got to swallow. But is the way that God leads, the way that Jesus lived, is it actually treasure? Because if it was, it would change the way that we acted. It would change the way that we are motivated to live and love people. So he's saying my kingdom is worth more than anything else in the world. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in me. And this is why in Matthew 10, 37, he says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life, check it, finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It's the paradox of the kingdom. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for treasures, for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I could just say that. I'd just be done. Like, yo, we just got to go think about that. Where your, your, your treasure is tied to your heart. And we live in such a noisy, hurried world that I believe many of us are not assessing what we're treasuring. There is a, there's two tests that uh, this Archbishop William Temple said 
if you want to know what your true treasure is. He says the first test is the solitude test. And the solitude test is when you don't have time to think about anything else, when your schedule is free and you could just sit, to, sit by yourself, sit in solitude, you're not being distracted by anything else, what comes to your mind effortlessly? What are the things that you begin to fantasize about, good or bad? What are the things that begin to bring you anxiety just as you sit in solitude? He's saying because the things that consistently rise to the surface of your concerns in solitude is the thing that has your heart. The second test, he calls it the nightmare test. And the nightmare test is when you think, what is the thing that keeps you up most at night? What is your greatest nightmare, the thing that would happen that would absolutely cause you to want to wake up from this bad dream? I've shared with you, honestly, a, a few times, my nightmare test because of 2022 and all the health issues and all the, the surgeries and the infections was my nightmare test. The thing that would keep me up at night was if I was going to wake up the next morning. My nightmare test is my kids growing up without a dad who was present or distracted from ministry or Jesus stuff. They actually never experienced Jesus themselves. My nightmare test is thinking I wasn't going to wake up from the hospital. My mom would have to, uh, my, my wife would have to raise these three crazy boys. This beautiful girl. My boys are handsome. They're amazing, but they're crazy right now. That was my, that was my nightmare. My nightmare test is people leaving this church more impressed with us and maybe even potentially abused or hurt by the church. That's my nightmare. I don't want those things to happen. But here's the issue. Things that you treasure more than God are what he calls idols. And silence the solitude test, and the nightmare test. These things reveal what you treasure more than God often. Here's things I have to deal with in my own heart. I treasure my family sometimes more than God. He says, <laughs> he says if anyone loves their father or mother more than me, son or daughter, he's like the whole crew of y'all love them more than me. That newborn baby that you just have that looks so precious and you want to do everything, if you love that baby more than God, that's an idol. Some of y'all love your money and your status and your career more than God. That's an idol. Your solitude looks like, how am I going to climb up this corporate ladder? Your solitude looks like, oh, how am I going to finish this thing? How am I going to get ahead on this thing? How am I going to make this side business happen? If your solitude and, and your nightmares are just uh, are filled with not having enough money, not having enough comfort, not having enough things, what he's saying is, oh, man, you treasure these things more than me. It's an idol. And Jesus says, and, I, and God says in Isaiah 44, 9, all who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. 
What happens with idols is instead of selling everything in order to treasure God and his kingdom, we live out of this fear-based religion where some of us have this, where if I do this thing for you, God, then I expect this thing back in return. If I follow you and I do this thing, well, then I expect you to take, I expect you to help me get this job or to help me do this thing. And it's, it becomes such a transactional relationship. But when you treasure God, when you treasure his way, when you treasure his kingdom, you are led by faith, not control. You are led by faith to say, you know what? I cherish these things and I value your kingdom so much so that metaphorically speaking, I will sell everything if it means I get to follow you. Everything. Many of us treasure our circumstances more than the creator of these said circumstances. We don't have a long-term vision of treasure because the treasure that he talks about is a eternal treasure. It's a treasure that's not gonna lie to you because the problem with idols is they overpromise and they always underdeliver. They overpromise a level of comfort and security. Many of you idolize that job and then three weeks in, you no longer have that job and you place all your hope. See, the, one, the way you know you have an idol is when someone tries to take it from you. How do you act? You know you have an idol. It's when someone is trying to, to mess with the very thing that you put your hope in. Because God says, what profits a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Sin will have you treating God's treasure like trash. And simultaneously, when you treat God's treasure like trash, you begin having a hard time believing that you are treasure yourself. And you just become like the, the great Disney prophet Forky and you think you're trash. It's the reason why so many people have hardship in life right now and they struggle with their identity is because they have not seen the treasure that the king has to offer. And they have not seen the great lengths that this king went to get this treasure. You see, God would send Jesus to put on human flesh. Because in the beginning of time, when God would create this paradise and all this treasure, humanity would say, ah, I think we could create treasure on our own. I think we could do this better. Sin would enter the world because we think that we, uh, that we offer better treasure than God. And it would permeate throughout all of history so much so that God is still after us experience treasure and paradise with him that he would send Jesus to put on human flesh, come down to earth. He would walk the fields of earth and Jesus would find treasure. And it was you and it was me. It was this community. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jesus would find treasure. And when he found us, he said, oh, this is so valuable that I am willing to sell everything. I'm willing to give up my life for this treasure. And one of the greatest challenges in your pursuit of life, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, is to put your faith in Jesus knowing that God actually loves you. Matter of fact, knowing that God actually likes you. Many of you don't even feel that right now. It's hard for you to fathom that there is a God who loves you so much that when he was going through the field of life, he picked up your name and said, oh, this is treasure. 
I am going to give my life for this treasure. Many of us have a hard time believing that. And I believe one of the issues facing people who are not engaged with the church, not engaged with Jesus, is because when they look at those who follow him, we don't have the secret, which he says is joy. It says, when this man found this treasure, he didn't say, it doesn't say, well, he was pissed off and he was like, man, I guess I got to sell everything. It says he went with joy and he sold it all. I believe Psalm 86, when David writes, he says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Many of us don't experience the joy to sell all of these things because we have an undivided heart or we have a divided heart, sorry. And our heart is divided because we are looking at metaphorically in our mind, the things that Jesus offers and says, oh, that's really good, but it hasn't translated to your heart. So your heart is very divided. And some of you even call yourself a follower of Jesus, but there's no evidence of joy on your life. And I'm not talking about being an extrovert. I'm not talking about those people who just are very positive all the time where it's low-key toxic. I'm like, bro, you lying. Like life ain't always that. But joy is different. Joy is a resolve in your heart and soul that you have a treasure that even though the circumstances don't look good right now, there is a mustard seed in the kingdom that's going to grow and it's going to outlast anything. And it's going to be full of joy, peace, love, no pain. That's the treasure that we hope for. And so God does not want our hearts to be divided. He doesn't want us finding too much treasure in the things of this world. It says the man found the treasure and in his joy, he went and sold everything he had. It's easy to respond at first in the Christian life with joy. But how do you respond to treasure and the treasure of the kingdom when tragedy hits? How do you respond when God is trying to change your heart from the inside and deal with your idols, the things that you treasure more than him. In Matthew 19, when the rich young ruler was asking Jesus, what do I have to do to get this eternal life, this treasure? Jesus tells him the commands. He's like, cool, check, I've done that. Then he's like, yo, I need you to go sell everything. And it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He didn't have joy. And Jesus would go on to say, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Contextually today, it's hard for someone to enter the kingdom of heaven if all of your riches are stored up in this world. All of your hopes are stored up in this world. Responding with joy. Oh, it sounds good, but it is an act of surrender. It is an act of surrender to say, man, I'm comparing this to this, and I'm always going to choose the kingdom. Even though this, it kind of looks shiny, and it's, you know, it looked good, but I'm, I'm going to choose the kingdom. 
Paul Tripp says, change that ignores the heart will seldom transform the life. For a while, it may seem like the real thing, but it will prove temporary and cosmetic. My prayer today is that you would consider what you treasure most in life right now. What is the thing that's coming up to the surface in your, in your silence? What are the nightmares? My prayer is that our hearts would not be divided in this pursuit of treasure. And many of you in this room haven't even made that decision to treasure Jesus above everything else. Many of you in this room have sold everything to follow him. But the thing that you struggle with is what Paul Tripp also calls, calls gospel amnesia. And gospel amnesia means I continue to anxiously search for what has already been fully given to me in the person, presence, and work of Jesus. Many of you sold it all, but you continue, <laughs> you continue to want to go back and pursue the things that once made you anxious. Pursue the things that once left that hole that you felt like you needed to surrender over to God in the first place. In May 2010, there was a California student by the name of Jeremy Sturdebont. Hope I said his name right, Jeremy. At 19 years old, he noticed a bizarre request of cryptocurrency on an internet forum. Jeremy would receive 10,000 Bitcoins at the time, reportedly valued at $41. In exchange for delivering two large pizzas to Florida resident Laszlo Hanyek. Laszlo paid 10,000 Bitcoin for two large pizzas valued at $41. What Laszlo didn't know is that he just paid $430 million for two slices of pizza right now. The thing that Lazo didn't know is that this was a hidden treasure, that he had no idea what would come about. Now, the, the metaphor doesn't, it's not clean. So don't be saying Jay's comparing the gospel to cryptocurrency. But here's the thing, Lazo didn't realize the treasure that he had. And so he sold it for his immediate hunger. He sold it for his immediate desire not realizing the fortune that he would have just years from that moment. And the saddest thing about Lazo is in an interview, he's, he's happy about what happened. He said, well, I guess other people now get to realize the value of, uh, of what, the value of the mistake that I made. Man, would that never be said of the follower of Jesus? that we have this value and treasure. It may look like a mustard seed now, but it's gonna grow up into something that has eternal worth over your life.